It's 2010. I win a, a primary going into the general election. I go to Dallas for a uh, breakfast the next morning, and then Austin for lunch, and Houston for dinner. I get into the hotel. I know I'm going to eat too much the next day, so I try to get to the, uh, to the gym. I get to the gym, and there's a line of treadmills, and they're those foo-foo treadmills that have the TV in the middle of them. I get there. I'm running. The guy next to me is running. He has headphones in. I don't bring my headphones. He's listening to the TV. I'm running. He's running. I look over. My face is on his TV. I'm running. He's running. The words, world's worst American, appear below my face. I'm running. I can't hear. He can hear. I'm running. He's running. He looks over at me. He looks down at his screen. Then there's a split screen, my face and Keith Olbermann talking. I know that this is a bad day for me. I just don't know how bad it's going to be. I'm running, he's running, he looks at me, he scowls, he hits the stop button, he pulls out his, and he walks away. I don't know for months what was said about me. But I do know one thing, America's a great country. You know, you can say whatever you want about a politician and most almost anybody else, and that's what we enjoy about free speech. That's what the, the marketplace of ideas is all about. What I actually said was that if the VA could offer health care at a lower cost and higher quality, we should look at privatizing the VA hospital system. In 2010, that earned me the recognition of world's worst American. But the nice thing about somebody in MSNBC saying something bad about me is I gained credibility with the right and I knew that Fox, I don't know if Newsmax was around at the time, but now we have Fox and Newsmax and we have competition in cable news. New York Times may something, say something bad about me, Wall Street Journal may say something good about me. We have competition in that area. So fast forward to January of 2020. I'm going to an antitrust subcommittee hearing in Boulder, Colorado. Now, it is cold. It's in the low teens. And I'm not happy. One, there isn't a single Republican in Boulder, so when I go to Boulder, Colorado, I will be the only Republican there. We call it Boulder, Colorado, and Colorado we call it the People's Republic of Boulder. 28 miles, 28 square miles surrounded by reality. And that's where I've got to go on a cold, morning. And it's for an antitrust hearing. I'm the only Republican that's going to show up. And the thing about antitrust is I know what the answer is. At least I thought I knew what the answer was. Right? We all believe in free markets and the market will take care of itself. If there are bad actors, there's going to be a market out there for good actors. So I walk in and I am, I'm just loaded for bear. I'm going to tell these folks all about how we don't want to uh, punish Success. We want to celebrate success. And Bezos and Zuckerberg and those folks, they, they, they created something that's really valuable. We want to celebrate it. Well, I sit there and I listen to this testimony. Unbelievable what these guys are doing. I was a prosecutor for 25 years. I expect to see them someday in court. What they're doing is unreal. So you have a widget, right? You invent a widget. Congratulations. That's what America's about, innovation. You want to sell it on Amazon. You go to Amazon, and they enter an agreement with you, and they're going to sell your widget. And they're really excited to sell your widget. And your widget takes off. 
So some 29-year-old boy wonder goes to the bosses at Amazon and says, hey, this widget is really taking off. You know what we should do? They had to give us the plans when they applied to Amazon to sell this widget. We should just pull those plans out and make our own widget, and we'll sell our own widget. Amazon does it. They do it all the time. And guess what happens to the original widget? You find that on page three, page four. You find the new, better, fancier, shinier Amazon widget up on page one. Over and over again, they use the dominance of their platform to destroy what used to be their customers. Same thing with, with Apple, same thing with, so Apple, once they bought Apple Music, once they created Apple Music, they charged Spotify a 30% surcharge, a 30% tax to be on the App Store. So every dollar that comes in to Spotify, 30 cents goes to Apple. Over and over and over, they have found ways to use their monopoly platforms to cheat, steal, and lie. Well, how does this affect us? Let's, let's use a couple, look at a couple of examples. How about Parler? Right after January 6th, Parler has been a problem for these, these platforms because you see, when the tech platforms kick conservatives off or freeze their accounts, Parler didn't do that. So there's, a, there's an issue there between what Parler is doing, what they consider dangerous, what their community standards are, and the woke platforms. So Parler, right after January 6th, Apple says, we're, we're pulling the plug. You're no longer on the App Store. Amazon Web Services said, we're pulling the plug. We're no longer going to support you. Basically putting Parler uh, out of business, or at least on, on life support. Now, the reason was, that Parler was used during the January 6th, before and during the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Well, guess what? Facebook was used before and during the January 6th riot at the Capitol. They didn't do anything about Facebook. Twitter was used. They didn't do anything about Twitter. They, in fact, the FBI used those to try to track down the people who were in the Capitol because those geniuses not only commit crimes, they then post their own images of that. So why Parler? Well, because it was conservative. Another example, let's compare the Hunter Biden laptop story to Russiagate. Hunter Biden laptop story was true. Hunter Biden left his laptop with somebody. The images were uh, uh, there for everyone to see. The emails that implicated Joe Biden um, in Hunter Biden's activities with the Chinese Communist Party. A true, uh, factual story. New York Post puts the story up weeks before the election. It's relevant. It is taken down by Facebook. It is, it is banned by Twitter. You can't, you can't retweet that story. Russiagate, absolutely false. The Michael Steele dossier was a lie. We spent about $100 million investigating President Trump and the Trump campaign. No evidence that there was collusion, no evidence that there was a conspiracy between Russia and anyone having to do with the, the uh, Trump campaign. Absolute lie. That was amplified 
everywhere on social media. One of my colleagues, Eric Swalwell from California, said there is an indictment with Donald Trump's name on it, something to that effect. Guess what? He was allowed to speak. No factual basis for that at all. And it was amplified all over. It was news for days that he knew something. He had contacts because he was on the Intel Committee or Judiciary Committee. He knew about the impending indictment of President Trump. Absolutely false. And it, it just goes to show the, the, uh, the discrimination that big tech companies, monopolies, engage in against conservative speech. Rand Paul is asking questions of Dr. Fauci in a Senate hearing. The video of that is taken off. Ron Johnson talks about the efficacy of masks and the vaccine. That is taken off. My friend and, and fellow congressman, Jim Banks, mocks Time Magazine for uh, giving the Woman of the Year award to a biological male. He's taken off. Now, I know danger. I've prosecuted for 25 years. I know what danger is. I have the gunpowder. You bring the matches. That's dangerous. Mocking Time magazine for what they say or what they, uh, an award they give, that's not dangerous, folks. That's free speech. That's, that's the kind of debate we need to have in this country. You can agree with Jim Banks, you can disagree with Jim Banks, but you can't call that dangerous. No one's gonna get, and their feelings might get hurt, but no one's gonna get hurt. No building's gonna be destroyed as a result of that. Shelby Skeel, black conservative, does a documentary with his son Eli on uh, the Ferguson shooting and, and subsequent riots. What killed Michael Brown? Amazon Prime takes that down. Wall Street Journal writes a, a piece about it, editorializes about it. They put it right back up because they got caught. The uh, Clarence Thomas biography, that's being shown during Black History Month. At one point in time for a week, it was the number one viewed item on Amazon Prime, taken down, didn't fit their narrative, took it down. Ryan Anderson writes a book, When Harry Became Sally. I, I want to make sure you understand that Amazon doesn't just discriminate on videos. It, Amazon refuses to sell that book because it doesn't fit their narrative of what America should look like. And so recently we've, we've discovered that not only are these companies discriminating against conservative speech, not only are they monopolies who are discriminating against conservative speech, but also they are now working with government to discriminate against conservative speech. We've seen that over and over again, recently revealed emails about communication between the Biden administration. And you say, you know, that's, that's not so bad. They're never gonna go, you know, overboard. And I mean, they're American companies, right? They share our values. Think about what they did in China. Hong Kong protesters 
had an app on their iPhone, and it, uh, it, was, it told them where the, the Hong Kong police were so they could go to another part of town and, and protest. The Communist Chinese Party said, take that app down. Apple took the app off the app store. Guess what? They took the Bible app off the app store because the Chinese Communist Party said to do that. And you know what the response was when they were criticized for taking the Bible app off the app store? They said, we're not against Christians. We took the Koran app off also. That's heartwarming. Folks, there are a few different ways. Well, let me back up. Let's, let's talk about healthcare for a second. You remember, some of us can remember, others may have read about it, Hillary Care. Bill Clinton gets elected. He gives the healthcare issue to his wife. Hillary Clinton works with a task force, hand-chosen task force, they come up with Hillary Care. It is defeated. They spend the remainder of the time of the Clinton administration and the remainder of the time of the Bush administration building this health care idea, talking about the necessity to have the great largest takeover in, in American history. And they, they ultimately get Obamacare. What did we do about this issue during the eight years of the Bush administration? Nothing. We just kind of pushed it aside and said, nothing's going to happen on that. We beat Hillary Care, nothing's going to happen. And then, bam, we get hit with reality. Will Rogers says there are three ways that people learn. Some people, very few, learn by seeing. Some people, very few, learn by hearing. Most of us have to pee on the electric fence to learn the lesson. <laughs> Folks, the progressive answer to harm caused by big tech on the internet is to form a government agency that will regulate speech. A government agency that will decide what the truth is, decide what is dangerous. I have to tell you, that is the scariest concept that I could ever think of. My friends in the Republican Party who don't want antitrust laws, they have another answer. What they say is, we've got this bright, shiny object over here. It's called Section 230. If we reform Section 230, we'll really box in these big tech companies, and they won't be able to do what they're trying to do. Well, I have news for you. Section 230 is not going to pass and get signed by a Biden White House for the next two and a half years. So nothing happens with big tech for two and a half years. What did Google do in June of 2020? If you Googled, if you searched on Google, any set of, of identifiers with the word Trump in them, the credible news sources that you would find were the New York Times, the Washington Post, NPR. Every single liberal news organization would be in that criteria. You would not see the Wall Street Journal. They have created their algorithm in a way that discriminates in a very, very underhanded 
in, in devious way, in a way that we can't identify unless you can go in and figure out algorithms. So when we talk about let's do something that's going to take years and years to actually come to fruition, they just keep doing what they're doing, and we keep losing in, in the process. Section 230 politically is almost impossible to, to, to change in a meaningful way. And even if you did succeed in changing it, you're still giving human beings in Silicon Valley the authority to decide what's dangerous. You can use any term you want. You can, because you, you, right now the term is otherwise objectionable. It's so big that you can drive a Mack truck through it. But you can use dangerous, you can use imminently dangerous, you can use whatever descriptor you want, as long as a woke human being is making the decision on what stays up or what comes down, we're in trouble. And the idea that a private lawsuit can in some way influence these companies who are making tons of money off of this is equally implausible. They will fight and they will beat us. Now, there are some antitrust bills and many conservatives in the Senate and in the House are supporting these. And they can pass. They may not, as long as Paul Pelosi is invested in the companies, they may not pass. As long as Chuck Schumer's daughter works for Facebook, I don't want to, it could be Google, it could be Amazon, but, but two of his daughters work for those two companies. So Thanksgiving dinner is probably really interesting uh, at the Schumer household. But there are so many uh, reasons, in fact, in the month of July, 36 million reasons why antitrust bills won't pass. That's how much money these companies spent on lobbying in individual districts uh, around the country. But here, let me give you a couple of them as an example. Google bought DoubleClick. When they bought DoubleClick, they control and I mean control in the sense that they have between 85 and 90% of the, of the sell side of digital advertising. They control, again, a similar percentage on the buy side, and they control the auction house. They own the auction house. So when we talk about the free market will take care of this, there is no free market. It's like having the pitcher the batter, and the umpire on your team. Really difficult to imagine a result that doesn't benefit Google. So Mike Lee and I, uh, Senator Lee and I, have a bill. He has it in the Senate, I have it in the House, that would require companies of that size to either be on the buy side or the sell side or uh, have the auction house. But you can't be on all three. It, it helps create competition uh, in the marketplace. We have another bill. Um, and, and this bill comes from the uh, concept that was developed in the 1996 Telecommunications Act. Before that act passed and was en enacted, and, and actually came, you know, the, the, it took a couple of years for the, the concepts to be in place. It was, uh, you, you didn't own your phone number. You didn't own your contact list. You didn't own your photos. So when you moved from one cell phone company to another, there was this barrier. 
Do you really want to contact everybody that you know and tell them what your phone number is, your new phone number is? So after that act, that information was portable. You owned it and you could move it to another company, creating competition. The same thing is true in the digital sphere. If you uh, search for something on, on Google or you are engaged in a conversation on Facebook, they're recording that and they know to advertise to you based on that. They even know where you are at any given time. If you search for F-150 pickup trucks and you're driving down the road and you're going past a Ford dealership, you're going to get a little text message. We have a sale on F-150 pickup trucks. How did that happen? So this uh, portability concept gives you the right to take your search data and go to any other uh, uh, search engine you want and you can sell it to them or you can at least move it or you can have your own data removed so they can't they don't know who, what you're searching for and they can't sell that to advertisers. 48 out of 50 attorney generals has asked for the right to have lawsuits that they file under the Clayton Act against monopolies um, give them venue in the jurisdiction that they sue in. The federal government has that ability. Uh, private parties and state attorney generals, are, the venue is decided by a panel. That panel locates it most of the time in Northern California, Silicon Valley. The Texas lawsuit against Google uh, with other attorney generals has been moved to the Eastern District of New York. They're, all they're asking for is the ability to file a lawsuit in their home state and keep that lawsuit where they filed it as opposed to a venue that is uh, uh, more amenable to uh, big tech. And finally, there's a non-discrimination bill, a bill that says just because you own Apple Music doesn't mean you can charge Spotify a 30% uh, surcharge. You can't use your platform, Amazon, to figure out what products are selling well and then go compete against those platforms, or against those products. So there are some common sense bills that don't disrupt the market, that don't take away the, the services that we have grown accustomed to, but allow competitors to grow in a marketplace that they can compete in on the business side and then give us a choice in the marketplace of ideas so that we have competition, so that we have a Fox News versus an MSNBC. It, it is common sense, and I think it will remedy the situation much better than, than the alternatives. Folks, God bless you. Thanks for being here.